0: I've been trying everything to be whole From the heart of me and down to my goddamn soul My goddamn soul I've been trying to see out of my eyes From the bottom of this mountain of goddamn light These goddamn lies Well, welcome to episode two of our podcast, Mm -hmm. A Conversation with David and Lisa. My name's David. I'm Lisa. And we're really excited to be here. Today is episode two, introducing myself, David Lunsford. And uh, we're really excited to do this. I think every time we wake up in the morning on Sunday, we're like, oh, shit, (laughs) we're going to have to go live and record a podcast. And I don't know if I feel in the mood for that. But.
1: And even just a few minutes ago, we were like, you know what? We could just delete the whole thing if we wanted to. Yeah, we could just just be done with the podcast. We could just stop whenever we (laughs) want. (laughs) All that to say, we don't know what we're doing. We're just having fun here. Yep. But, yeah, and today we get to talk about David. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know for me, it's been... I just just feel like the luckiest person in the world to be near you
0: so much
1: and to be able to navigate life with you we got married at 19 and had no idea what we were doing and who we were and all of that and i just feel very very lucky that it's ended up this way that we've been able to grow up with each other for so long and it's been a privilege to be partners with you this whole time so thanks babe yeah for sure i appreciate (laughs) it i like you too yeah (laughs) But, um, so, but today we're talking about you. Yeah. So maybe we just start at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to think about my story all week long, and I'm just, like, coming up with nothing, just over and over <laughs> again. Like, I don't even know if I lived a story. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not true, but it's, it's crazy how you can start comparing your story to other people. Like, your story seemed to be just full of, like, these shaping moments, and I know mine is, too, but I don't have, like the order as well. And I don't talk like you either. So I think I'm just going to be me today.
1: Totally. Well, it's it's hard to, I think, to just like, y- you've lived it. Yeah. You know, so you're in it mm-hmm. just like I've been in mine. And it's weird talking about it and going through in a chronological order and remembering all yeah. this stuff from like decades ago now.
0: Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I'll just start at the beginning, kind of like you did. Um, all right. All right. So I was born in California. Um, I didn't live in California long. I was only three months old when I moved. So I'm glad I'm a Californian, but I'm kind of an Idahoan, we moved to Idaho. Um, One thing I would say just about right when being born is I was born with one hand. So the story I was told about that was like, it was a really uh, crazy day for my parents, for my family. Um, Because back then you didn't know People were going to be born with one hand. You didn't, you didn't have an ultrasound. Right. So it was just like you show up in the room as a baby, and whatever is wrong with you or whatever is different about you, that's when they see it and that's when they like freak like in out. In that moment. Yeah. So I came out with one hand, and uh, the doctors rushed me out of the room right away, took me away from my parents. My parents were like, what's wrong? You know, and it was like this big commotion. They had like friends there to see the baby, mm-hmm. see me, <laughs> the mm-hmm. baby, mm-hmm. but they couldn't. So. I, I say that because I think I was born disruptive. <laughs> mm. Like I came into the world loudly. It wasn't just like, a, oh, a new baby. It was like, oh, shit, what are we going to do with this soul? You know what I mean? That's what I would picture it. I don't know if my parents would say the same thing. But so that's where it started. Then we moved to Idaho. Uh, my parents decided to be pastors um, of a new church plant there. So they are going to go tr- plant a church in Idaho where their family lived. So I grew up... Um, in, in a church because my parents planted a church in our house so the church was downstairs they had this big wood wall and there was like a cross like in the wall mm. and uh so i mean i, I grew up in christianity <laughs> like i grew up in it and uh it was a wild life. We'd have, like, youth group parties there. We'd have, like, everything. Like, before I was even a youth grouper, old enough to be a teenager or whatever, like, I would still, like, sit on the stairs and watch everything going on and try to, like, pick up, like, how to be in this world from, like, all these older Christians. Um, another part of Idaho is that it was, like, 90-something percent Mormon. At least that's what I remember. I don't know yeah. if that's actually yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. That's a stat I use a lot, though, yeah, in I my Googled life. It. Yeah. So... I grew up in a Mormon area as a Christian and as a Christian kid I was kind of like told or at least perceived that uh, we were kind of like in the mission field like we mm-hmm. were born uh, or we were growing up in a place that was different than us and we had to shine the light of Christ on everyone in order to change them which was super confusing to me because all of these Mormons all these people my neighbors were super nice people like nicer yeah. than us mm-hmm. <laughs> like we were meaner. <laughs> So it felt like I was always, like, trying to change the way they saw Jesus because they also believed they also in, believe Jesus. in Jesus. Yeah. So that was really confusing, too. There must be two Jesuses, hmm. and the one that they believed in was the wrong Jesus, so we had to, like, introduce them to the right Jesus, and then, it's I don't know.
1: Interesting way to yeah to see that. I don't think I've ever seen it like that before. Totally. You know, from a little kid's perspective? Yeah. Because there's so many moments as a little kid when you look back that you're like, this doesn't quite make sense. Right. But you just kind of, it's kind of formative too. Yeah. The way that you grow up and believe about the world mm-hmm. from those little moments.
0: Yeah. And in my body, like I felt like um, everybody was dangerous because they were like not mm. of God and I was of God and to get them to be of God, I'd have to tell them this story. And if they didn't take it, which they didn't most of the time, I mean, yeah. they had their own story and they were very good at rebuttling me they're mm-hmm. better th- they were better with their book than i was with yeah. my book so that was interesting that was like okay so i'm a christian in the middle of a mormon world i'm a one-handed kid in the middle of everyone has two hands mm-hmm. and so i think i was just like super different in my mind like i i, I thought that i don't fit in at all
1: in any area
0: no area yeah. at all so like i Knowing myself now i 'm an Enneagram Four, which is the individualist, mm-hmm. and i 'm not surprised at that because like I had to make this personality that was like, "I know I'm different, but I can hang out with you guys yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and uh, but those two things were really heavy because like I was like, I wanted to be a basketball player, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player when I was a kid, so I was like practicing every day playing every day, but the school I went to, I saw in my mind that it was a Mormon school, and I was also with one hand so like when I went to tryouts I kind of figured I wouldn't make the team even though like I felt like I was really good at basketball um, because I would be voted out because of all of my differences yeah so I, I think in at an early age I like mm-hmm. kind of decided like all right, it's gonna be a lot of work to yeah. make it as far as I can make it in anything I do and it probably won't be all the way
2: yeah
0: mm-hmm. um, I remember even playing basketball at my friend's house and uh, his dad Brought him inside (laughs) and talked to him for a while, then he came back out and he was all sad and I was like, What's going on? And he was like, Well, my dad just gave me some bad news and I was like, Okay And he was like, Yeah, he told me that there's probably no chance you're gonna make the NBA.
1: Heartbreaking even for that kid. It was
0: heartbreaking, you know. But I felt like in those moments I kept on like Making up this story of like I've got to try harder than like yeah. I've got to like I've got to try harder than Everybody to be able to fit in to be able to compete to be able to succeed in this life like there's mm-hmm. got to be a way that I can Make myself the same as everyone so I started just like really trying to become Just like everybody else, you know, so I would yes. I would like work hard on yes. basketball to, so so people would never say the comment you're not good because you have one hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't make the team when yeah. I tried out for the basketball team, it was heartbreaking. I actually quit in the middle of it because of all the um, things they did. Like the, there was this exercise where we had to like push a board on the ground wrapped in a towel and mm-hmm. my arms weren't the same length. So I was like, really, it just felt weird. And I looked weird. I think anything that made me look weird or feel weird, I was like, shit, everyone can see that yeah. I'm different. So, this is not charging. If you don't mind, okay. yeah. making it charge. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a sad story to to walk in that way, to be that way, and I formed like these massive uh, this massive personality that had to like fit in. Had to. It's okay. I wouldn't worry too much about sure? it. If it okay. shuts off, then whatever. <laughs> oh, that's Here, emotional me... to even talk about. Honestly.
1: Yeah, I know. I can. It's like as you're talking about it I can just feel I can feel it and and also just being a part of your life as an adult I can see it too yeah you know, like I can see how that kind of shaped you into who you are and and especially over the last few years what you've kind of been opening up to we can talk about that later but yeah it's just really interesting to hear you say it in such a way and then be able to see it how how that's matured yeah and grown as you become an adult and those things still being underlying yeah in your motivation yeah for how hard you work mm-hmm. all the time.
0: Totally yeah it felt like it was decided for me. Mm. And I think that's the way way I viewed God, too. Like, at an early age, I just decided, okay, God created me this way. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Which, like, for some people, like, they take that as a gift, but for me, I was like, this is a fucking weird way to be born. Like, this is a hard life. Like, this is a weird gift. (laughs) Yeah. And I always thought it was, like, told to me that it was a gift from God, that I would have one hand. And that was, like, a really, like, it was a messed up gift, I felt like. And so, um, I mean,
1: did you feel like that as a kid, or is that, is that something that you kind of unpacked when you were older?
0: I felt like that way as a kid, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. I would, like, pray for hours that uh, people would, uh, or that God would heal me. Yeah. And so I would just pray and pray, and then, like, I would I would close my eyes, and I would open them and look at my hands, and my, I still have one hand, and that would always, like, be a letdown. So, I, so even at an early age, like, I realized that God didn't heal. <laughs> or if he did heal, he wasn't healing me, because he, for some reason, thought that, Uh, I would have a greater purpose like this, which is great.
1: But you kind of feel... I mean, the way that I'm hearing is like you almost feel like an object to this person's or this God's will. That's true, You know, like it's not really... You're not really cared for in that respect. Yeah. You're kind of, I don't know, like a secondary your character yeah. in this thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was I was kind of like a tool. Like I was mm-hmm. made to show something. You know what I mean? I yeah. wasn't made just to be and to see what this world was like and to enjoy it. I was made like I had to have like a path to redeem mm-hmm. this brokenness like from a young age, you know. Um, and then I would fall in love with girls and I would have one hand. I mean everything was warped in this one-handedness. Like this this yeah. uh, and I couldn't date girls that were Mormons, so like everybody was Mormon. Mhm so it's weird with my childhood because i don't remember a lot of it i remember i had some good friends who didn't see me that way you know what i mean yeah. but i kind of like believed be- it was because i was trying so hard and was like proving them wrong i was always just proving people wrong it was like my life goal to prove people wrong i can do it i know i can do it
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um so high school was really hard junior high was really hard like all the school was really hard because uh i wasn't like a cool kid Mm -hmm. I was, like, middle-class kid, (laughs) like, where uh, people liked me enough, you know, but Mm -hmm. I just never fit in with anybody, really. Uh, I finally started, like, skateboarding and found, like, this cool skater group that, like, saw me as I was and was cool with me and loved me. And, um, yeah, I guess childhood is just not very fun for me to talk about. It's, like, it's not like the, I was awesome. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I showed all these people I was awesome. It was more, like i didn't think i was awesome and i was trying so hard to be awesome and it was mm. a lot of work and uh my older sister annie like she was actually like famous <laughs> like yeah, she was like really popular yeah she was super popular had all these friends and i was like the one just trying to uh fit in mm-hmm. but she was really super kind to me like she would always like let her friends like defend me and uh, I felt very protected by her friends even by my friends that were her friends or people in my grade that were everybody was her friend so I kind of had to borrow friends to protect me um yeah it was a lot yeah it was a lot to grow up with one hand and it was a lot to grow up as a Christian both things were like kind of like you're damned in these ways it's almost like if you have past life karma I came into this world to face this karma like how do I break out of this like Curse that had been put on me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How mm-hmm. do I, how do I, remove it and be able to just fucking live and not have yeah. to like prove myself anymore? Yeah. You know?
1: And that's an interesting thing to have to hold because mm-hmm. you're never really resting in that this is this is who I am and that this is okay. Yeah. That I come into this world just okay the way that I am. Yeah. Which is kind of something that we've all had to deconstruct in Christianity. Right. You know, feeling like we come into the world broken and it's almost like in that in that world view, you're you're kind of solidified in that, yeah. even with having one hand, yep. and looking different, yep. from everyone else. Yep. and having to work extra hard yeah. to compete and stay stay with the pack almost. Yep. as the pack is going and you're belonging, wanting to belong. right. trying to keep up.
0: right. Yeah. and it wasn't until like I went homeschooled actually, like I went homeschooled uh, at like ninth grade because I had some friends. Who were snowboarders and skaters, and they were all, they were homeschooled, and they were always doing this shit, like skating and snowboarding. It's so all I wanted to do was be with them, and so I talked my parents into homeschooling me. And at that moment, something broke. Like it, it seemed like I, I like could step out from, maybe it was just the full crowd all the time, mm-hmm. like the full community, and I could just like kind of learn how to shine in a smaller community. Yeah. Which was maybe the gift of church in some ways, because they were youth group friends, so I had this little smaller crowd that I could like be cool with. I was a good basketball player. I was really good as a kid. I was like a decent looking kid. You mm-hmm. know, I was a good looking kid. I, uh, in youth group, I had girls that liked me. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> in school, not so much, you know. But uh, that was kind of the first breakout was like being homeschooled. It was like the removal of like, I have to be a part of this society or this community mm-hmm. and I got to be a part of the smaller one.
1: Yeah, on such a large scale, because school is such a big, yeah, such a big, big thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of just jetting all around. No,
1: I think it's great, yeah.
0: But um, I'll just move into YWAM, Youth of a Mission. Mm-hmm. My, when I was in school, my a lot of my siblings went to Youth of a Mission to be missionaries. And my older brother, Shane, was like a really cool like part of my life. Like He was kind of like a hero kind of mm-hmm. person that I wanted to be so much like. I didn't know him very well because he was 12 years older than me. But he had went to YWAM, and so I was just trying to follow in footsteps of what cool was or what is, like, I don't know.
1: Following along with the pack. Yeah. Wherever the...
0: Totally. Yeah, Yeah. not making my own choices. (laughs) just like, I got to go to YWAM because that's what my cool brother did. (laughs) So I better Uh go there. So uh, they had this, like, basketball program where you could go and you could teach basketball and be on um, overseas teams uh, and play on, like, ships and different things. Like, you'd go and do outreach uh, with basketball. And so I decided to go and do their intro school called the Discipleship, Discipleship Training School. And I went and did that and uh, that was like the next layer of like breaking out as me. Like it was like now I was like no one knew me here
2: mm-hmm. and
0: I had my skills built up pretty well. Like basketball I could fucking kill anybody and uh, I was decently looking at this time. Everyone was Christians which is like a fucking like way <laughs> relaxing because yeah. I didn't have to feel like I was like talking anybody to in, into anything. I could just like and I was like really good at being a Christian Yeah. you know mm-hmm. um, so I started to thrive there a little bit like I started to become my own person but I was very if I look back now I was very like outgoing I was very like I had to be the top of the party um, I had to be noticed mm-hmm. and quickly mm-hmm. I remember like because I didn't want people to realize I had one hand Still, I was still kind of a thing. So, very quickly, I had to show them that I was very talented. So, we had a basketball gym there. People would come in, and I would always love the comment I didn't even realize you had one hand until I saw you playing basketball. You yeah. know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I used to love that. Be like, oh, yeah, you know, I have one hand, but I can still do all this shit, you know? Yeah. So, you like need
1: a... to see all of that stuff first yeah. before you judge me. Yeah. I like prejudge me on the way that I look.
0: Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but somewhere in there, I started writing poetry about girls because (laughs) I was getting my heart broken a lot. Cause I really liked girls and they didn't like me that much. So I started to like write poetry and it was really heartfelt. And then at the same time I met uh, a friend named Aaron Sternke, who was a musician. Um, at the same time, I started listening to a band called silver chair and I started to fall in love with like this, like young kid, Daniel Johns, who like, was just this amazing, like heart, Wrenched writer who was just like spilling his guts out about whatever the fuck he was going through anorexia broken heart not fitting in it was like almost like he was like a soul that was like oh you get me yeah like you Mm -hmm. don't fit in and I don't fit in Mm -hmm. you know you have problems I have problems but you're shining in songwriting
1: yeah
0: and uh so I would start to like sing my poems because of Daniel Johns um I wanted to be a singer all of a sudden yeah 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 (laughs) And I wanted to be really good really fast, uh, just like everything else. I had to get good fast because it was just like, to make the transition of not being good to medium to being good took too long, too too long yeah. as a one-handed kid. It mm-hmm. had to be like real quick. Mm-hmm. So um, I started playing guitar um, and I started learning really fast. So like Within a year I was just playing every day and I probably wrote like a hundred songs the first year I played music
1: which is so crazy. I know it. It's so crazy because I, I met you during this time, Yeah. right? Like a little bit after. Yep. A little bit after that.
0: Yeah, you met me like right at the end of the first year of me yeah. playing.
1: And you were a musician to me Yeah. And when I met you. <laughs> yeah. That's what you did. I had I, to
0: put on the coat real fast. Yeah. <laughs> I had to wear it. Yeah. That's what I was kind of doing. I was putting on identities so that people didn't see me. Yeah. So as fast as I could grab it, I would put it on. And uh, the cool thing about why Montana where I was... At was there was really good musicians there. Aaron Sternke, um, Naomi Salm, who was a song, singer-songwriter that was like really like formative for me, uh, my brother Shane. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these people, I would write these songs and I would take them to. They, those were the three people I would take my songs to to make sure that I was getting them good. And uh, mm-hmm. Aaron was always the guy that was like, fucking killer man, let me help you record this. Mm-hmm. And we would like record all these shitty demos. They're actually pretty good for a four track because Aaron's such a talented producer. Yeah. Um, and then I would take him to Naomi and she'd be like, yeah, they're pretty good, but you're like not using the right language. Like you're using too many, uh, things that people use all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that would kind of whittle me down. And then I would take him to my brother, Shane, and (laughs) he did not like my music (laughs) 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 at first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He was like the crowd that I was like, oh shit. Like either I decide to be a full musician or I decide to quit this. Yeah. Uh, I remember bringing him one of my first songs and he was like, Hey, I just want you to know, uh, I think that you're a really good athlete. And mm-hmm. you should stay an athlete. I don't think you're a musician, and because of the work ethic I had taken on, or this competitiveness as a kid that I had to prove myself, I was all I took it as was, okay. I have to get better faster. Yeah. I've get, now I've got to prove this too. I'm not
1: working hard enough. Right. I need to work harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I need to be
0: more original. I need to be. Mm. Um, I don't know. Better lyrics. Better tunes. Better whatever. And so I would just start writing like mad. Um, And I started to get good really fast at Mm -hmm. music. Within the first year, I put out um, an EP. Mm -hmm. And, like, right away, it started getting radio play, like, Mm -hmm. all across America. It was a small radio station, but it was a Christian thing. And they started to play my music, like, I think the first time I heard one of my songs on the radio was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. And I, like, heard Emotion... Emotion Swelling. Emotion Swelling, (laughs) which is, never name your song Emotion Swelling. (laughs) (laughs) Christian kid didn't know that. Christian <laughs> Dave didn't know that. But I would say this Dave knows that pretty well. So never name your song that. Um, and then people like the worship leaders at uh, the area I was in, Wyoming, Montana, started playing my music and it started to like, and then Aaron Sternke wanted to like bring me on tour and play my music. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my brother ended up being the bass player of that band, the one that said, you know, I'm an athlete and not a musician. And mm-hmm. then Within, I don't even know, six more months after he said that, I had Shane as my in bass ba- player yeah, in my like band.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you really do have this, I'm going to prove you all wrong. Yeah. All of you.
0: Yeah. And it's tiring to be like that. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm just realizing now how tiring it was. Oh. At, at that time, it, I just built myself. I had to give that much energy to life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's how I was in all ways. I was like.
1: This is just what it required. Yep. So anytime
0: you saw me I was like energetic. Anytime you saw me I was funny. Yeah. Anytime you saw me I was like pulling a crowd along with me. Like a few people at least were walking with me. I was never alone. Yeah. You know, I was trying to put a pick up or put up this picture that like I was okay.
1: Yeah. Well I mean it's interesting too because when I met you, I met that person. Yeah. That was always the life of the party. Yeah. You know, super extroverted, always had people around you. Yeah. And then when we got married, just starting to see some of the introvertedness starting to come in. I, I thought it was because I was rubbing off on you. I'm super introverted. And it could be that, too. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if part of it, too, is, like, the settling that yeah. got to happen because yeah you got to rest a little bit.
0: Yeah, I would think it would be both, you yeah. know, because, like, Lisa, you're right. So I, I met Lisa in YWAM. We get married, and, like, I start to adopt your... Ways, because mm-hmm. you're a, you're a heavy introvert. Mm-hmm. I'm acting as an extrovert, like big time, to prove myself. But you don't even really care to prove yourself. Like you're like, I'm gonna sit up in our dorm room and just chill out. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the couch against <laughs> our window, looking over the common area of the outside, like watching people dog. gather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Lisa would be like, Do you want to go out there and hang with your friends? I'm like, No. I'm, f-
2: I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. cool. <laughs>
0: I'm good. But the weird thing, I think I felt like I was losing ground. If I was alone and by myself, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was losing ground. Mm -hmm. But you were an invitation to be like, maybe you won't lose ground if you just come in here and hang out. Uh, So I use that as just like songwriting time. I would just write song after song after song. I don't even know how many songs I've written in my life. It's got to be... So many. Yeah, it's got to be at least over 100. I mean, I think I have over 100 recorded. (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) crazy. I don't even know. It's got to be... So, like somewhere around 200 to yeah. 300. I, no I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. Yeah, at least half songs, like ideas. But uh, music became my new thing. Basketball kind of started to fade. I started to... I think I just didn't think I could do it anymore which is probably true (laughs) I mean it's not it's not like a horrible story
1: and then you're like I'm probably not gonna make it to the NBA I didn't
0: make my high school team (laughs) I didn't make my like how is this gonna happen what's this magic trick uh so I think I just started losing the passion for it and I started gaining passion for music so I never did the basketball thing at YWAM I always just like from then on started bands started uh touring Mm -hmm. um yeah, so that's kind of me growing up, I guess. Is that, is that too fast? Yeah, no, that it's great.
1: I think it's perfect.
0: Um, and then we got married, and we decided uh, we didn't want to be a part of YWAM anymore. I think a lot of that was like I was just getting bored with YWAM. Yeah,
1: and I think, too... Like how you were describing your passion for music was getting, re- I mean. It was getting bigger. The was getting, vision, was, the getting vision big. was getting bigger. The vision was getting bigger, and YOM Montana couldn't hold couldn't that hold vision it. anymore. And
0: I think I was bored with, like, the spiritual side of it, honestly. Like, all the worship leading. The and weekly
1: all, prayer meetings. Yeah, the week.
0: I wouldn't even mm-hmm. go to the prayer meetings. Yeah. They'd have, like, fasting days, and I would hide in my room and, like, order, like, food from down the street. Like, I wasn't playing. I wasn't doing what it was doing. Yeah. I was acting as a different part of it. And so at some point, we were just like, we got to take this music and get out of here and see if we can, like, make it happen, make music happen in our lives.
1: Yeah, and you had kind of started touring and stuff yeah. with Shane and your band. Mm-hmm. And that I think that that sparked this, like, joy for That's true. performing live too. That's you. true.
0: I, I f- for, for like, the last year I was there, I started, like, all these, like, killer musicians wanted to play with me. Mm-hmm. So I had, like, a really good band, like, and I had, like, players that I'd dreamt of like Russ Motram was playing uh, drums for me and he Mm -hmm. was like the band of like he was the drummer of like the best band which was Aaron's band Ren the Heavens and so when Rin the Heavens broke up Russ Motram started playing with me Uh, Sarah Snyder started playing with me Um, Shane started playing with me Jorge started playing with me like all these like killer musicians Mike Olson I know you guys don't know these names but these are people that were like if you want a band like these are the players you want in it and uh I just thought I was a rock star all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and I just decided that we needed to take it to the streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were like, at first we were like, let's move to Seattle. And that was like way back, I mean, how many years ago? It was 20 years ago, probably, yeah. something like that. Let's move to Seattle. And uh, it felt too scary, and then we're like, well, you know, why don't we just take the band to Iowa instead, yeah. because my parents had moved from Idaho to Iowa, somewhere in there.
1: And it's kind of like, in our minds, it's like the hub
0: the hub. Well, I think we had to make it something. Yeah,
1: totally. So
0: Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa is where we moved our band to. And it, we were like, yeah, Chicago's right by there. Minneapolis, Minneapolis is right by King there. City. Indianapolis. Yeah, you can just go anywhere in this area. We didn't know it was like five-hour drive <laughs> to yeah. anywhere, which wasn't bad. I was in Montana before, you know what yeah. I mean? It was a step, step up. up. Yeah. <laughs> we really made a good step up from Montana to Iowa. Um, and that was fun. Like We, were, we took over yeah. Iowa. Like we took over Cedar Rapids as a band. I started a band called All But Screaming. Um, that was like really great. I was writing really good music. It was rock and roll. People loved it. We were playing. Like we were. We were one of the few original bands that was actually like making something
2: mm-hmm.
0: happen in in the air, like. I guess it was like a different scene. Like my little brother JJ was always in the scene of like punk rock, and he lived in Iowa. And they had we're like more a,
1: indie, young. I think yeah. too. You know, they were just. They were
0: like little brothers and sisters to me. I like, was like, I can't really play in your garage because I feel weird <laughs> that you're so much younger than me at that time, you know? So we like broke into like the, the bars that were only letting cover bands play, mm-hmm. um, which was all they really had there was like these bands or these bars that did cover bands. So we were playing four hours a night, original music.
1: That's so, right, yeah. And
0: I was like pumping out songs to fill those four hours and I was singing Top of My Lungs because, like, the style then was, like, this, like, really high... Passionate. Uh, high, passionate rock and roll, you yeah. know, like, I don't know, Jimmy World or, like, I don't know the band names. Yeah. <laughs> Blink-182. <182. laughs> but uh, I just kept on working, and I kept on doing it, and we took over the city in some mm-hmm. ways. Like, we were filling up places, and we were, like, cranking as a band in Cedar Rapids, yeah, Iowa.
1: Battle of the Bands, traveling yeah. to difference it, even the spouses d- decided we were gonna like move in with each other because you guys were gonna go on tour and like really yeah. like, get this thing going
0: yeah we had a drummer we actually had yeah a drummer move from Montana mm-hmm. JT Baker he was like a kick-ass drummer in a band there and he moved all the way to Iowa to play with us yeah and so we decided we were gonna move into a house and uh we had like labels looking at us because we were battle the band's winners every time mm-hmm. every and we did a lot of them and it was just like, for me now looking back, I'm like, I got so close so many fucking times, and I never fucking made it. It was almost like the same story of the NBA, even though I didn't get close at all. But it was like kind of like the same lie or the same sentence mm-hmm. on me was like, you're not gonna make it fully. You're always gonna be right about here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so finally, I think I just got tired of it. Like yeah, JT ended up leaving the band because he wanted to join some cooler band mm-hmm. that was actually had a label. Uh, and I would—I'd already been through so many bandmates that I was just tired of it.
1: Yeah, because it's like the—and who should be in the band, who shouldn't be in the band—that's stressful. Yeah, people coming to your show. I, It's like, looking back at it, it feels like just young kids, you know, working. But during the time, it was really, it was kind of stressful. It was. It was your voice. I remember that was really stressful. I would lose my voice all the
0: time because of all the high singing. Mm
1: -hmm. Just pushing and pushing and pushing.
0: We'd go on tour for like 30 days, and I would lose my voice on day two. Mm -hmm. And it was like just the biggest fucking energy sucker. Like, I just couldn't do it. And, uh... When JT left the band, I was just like done. I was just like I can't do this anymore. And mm-hmm. we br- we actually brought on another drummer, and we r- I feel like I ruined his life because I was a Christian and he wanted to- he was living with his girlfriend. And I was like, well, listen, bro, if you're gonna have- if you're gonna be in a band with me, you're gonna have to either get married or move out, because that's the way of the Lord. Yeah. And they ended up getting married because of that. I mean, God, there's so many things <laughs> that about being a Christian kid. Uh, that were hard for me to remember, or hard for me to talk about, because I was a good Christian.
2: Yeah.
0: I I guess that's something I should really say. I was a really good kid, straight-A student, straight-line, whatever, straight-edge kid Mm -hmm. that was just trying to be a really good Christian and a really good musician and a really good everything. I was really good at everything, and I just got tired. Yeah, uh, just
1: wanting to do everything the right way so that I could be
0: there. I started to get sad. At a certain mm-hmm. point, there uh, Lisa started going to school, and I was just like, hey, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, like. And so, to fill this sadness, instead of just like kind of like confronting it, I was just like, let's have a baby. <laughs> and so we had Abby uh, right then, and it kind of covered over stuff because it was like, okay, I don't have to like, I have an excuse now not to run the thing mm-hmm. anymore. So I get to quit all but screaming. And I got to become a worship leader again, which is like a return to home almost at the beginning of music. It was like, okay, I can just do what I used to do, and I can like start to build on that. And uh, so I became a worship leader, put out a record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm putting out records the whole fucking time. I don't even know. How, like, probably like seventh record by the time I was hitting worship leading time again. And uh, that wasn't working because Lisa wasn't happy in it, I feel like. <coughs> so I was like having kind of fun but it was like a church plant and I was working my ass off setting up and tearing down the pastor was like an interesting guy he's fine he's he's a sweet guy Mm -hmm. but at the same time it was like it just wasn't matching up with who we were
1: well yeah I think once once it starts feeling like like the beginning it felt like oh man this is fun and we're having a blast doing it and cool people are coming people that we feel are like-minded and all of that but then once you're trying to like It's kind of like your story a little bit. Once you're trying to, like, work to keep it propped up, and that's kind of what started happening is, like, with church plants, at some point you need people's money, you need people to get there, and so you start deviating from the original vision, or you can, because Mm -hmm. you need people to be there. And that's kind of, like, almost like a reflection of your story, too. Totally. It's fine when you're wanting to do it, but when you're doing it because you need to be there and you need people to be there and all of that then it just starts sucking the life out of you right
0: and i kind of had i was using all that i had built in my life to build this church of someone else like this was like this guy Mm -hmm. named randy reed it was his church but i was the face in a lot of ways of this church because i was this lead singer of all but screaming i had built this like following so all the musicians i was pulling in Mm -hmm. from all over the city different cities trying to keep this thing running people were coming To see me and lisa and to watch our music sets because lisa was singing with me at that time and i think at some point it just became too heavy for us like we're we're propping up something that it's not ours and so it's time to move on
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and so then we hit we're like maybe we should just move and maybe we should be worship leaders somewhere else and i started like applying to churches all over the world or all over the states at least and i started getting these offers from like really big churches like we like interviewed at a church in north carolina um, and we interviewed, or we like, I was in interviews in Las Vegas and Portland.
2: Ohio. Yeah, all these, yeah, Ohio.
0: <laughs> and at some point, uh, this church called Eastlake from Seattle um, called me. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't even called them. You know what I mean? I hadn't even really applied there. They just had gotten my record from someone. Yeah. And I remember it was like a big shift because I had been talking about like all these like boring topics to all these churches. And I, I was making up shit. Because I didn't know what they meant. Like, what were the terms? uh Postmodern, <laughs> something. And I was, I would. They'd be like, "What do you think about postmodern?" Blah blah blah. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I think postmodern means." <laughs> and I would like tell them these stories or whatever. And I didn't. I had. I had no idea what theology was. I just knew about personal relationship with God and how yeah. I saw it in my own view. So I could never explain things smart enough. So Eastlake came in and they didn't ask me any of those questions. Mm-hmm. They asked me like, "Do I drink beer? Do I swear? Do I?" Like, and is it okay if they do and all this stuff? And so all of a sudden I was like, okay, we are going off into the wild land mm-hmm. of Eastlake and Seattle again. Seattle came back to us. Like, yeah. okay, you're going to come to Seattle. And uh, I didn't even want to go at first. I was like, that's too rambunctious. It's not, it's too uh, sinful. Too it, rogue. Yeah. too yeah. People are go- This isn't like what Christianity looks like. Mm-hmm. And even I would even have pastor friends in Seattle. I remember Phil Manginelli was like, <laughs> don't or at least like you should do it, but be careful. you should get out as fast as you can because they're short selling the gospels, mm-hmm. like they're not doing a good job, and I was like, well, whatever, anyway, so we mm-hmm. move to Seattle and we become a part of this church, and it's massive fifty five hundred people i'm in my world, I'm like on the stage singing my songs like to fifty five hundred people every, every single week. week, yeah, and my songs are starting to take over the other songs, so all mm-hmm. of a sudden, like it's all of my songs like we're playing like Forty or forty at a time of my songs, yeah. and it's just rotating. And they're asking me to write songs every year, so I'm just pouring in more and more songs every year. And all of a sudden, like the music is me. The problem is, is I am not. I'm I'm not uh, believing in God as much. The cool thing is, is either is the pastor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one lined up really well for <laughs> That's <us>. true. <laughs> but
0: the problem for the people was, is like yeah. they were they they came to an evangelical megachurch and the pastor and the staff and me uh, all started losing our identity as christians losing our faith it was all falling apart the structure was falling apart my songs started to like Mm. they were always kind of like this but they were sad songs Mm -hmm. because i could never reach god enough i could never feel god enough god wasn't healing me god wasn't comforting me in my sadness you know what i mean like the only way i saw god was through success when things went well that was god when things went bad, which was a lot of life, like when things weren't reaching everything, it was just like the curse mm-hmm. of being uh, born on this earth, you know, yeah. as a kid with one hand, whatever. And so my faith fully crumbled. Luckily, everybody's did on staff. And we went through a shit storm of like everyone hating us. Mm-hmm. And it felt like hate if mm-hmm. it did. And I, I bet like if you would ask people, they'd be like, oh no, I never did that. But it, to me, it was like, it felt like I was meeting with people and they were saying things to me like, uh, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, why, why would I ever listen to you about this? You know, and Which is true. I mean, why would you listen to anybody about like, breaking apart their like, lifelong held belief yeah. system? But I was losing it all the while. And um, I fell all the way out. Mm-hmm. I fell all the way out of Christianity. Um, for a while there, I fell all the way, all the way out of my family system. Um, because Christianity was my family system. Um, it was kind of like the whole government of our family, like all the rules were around Christianity, mm-hmm. all the relationships were around it, all the conversations were around Christianity. How is God doing in your life? What is he showing you now? Uh, if you're having a hard time, how, how, what was God saying to you? Like everything was built on conversation around God. And once I didn't believe anymore, the only conversation I could have with him is I don't believe that. And that caused a lot of fucking turmoil. Um, I remember like conversations with my brother Shane, where it was like, "Why are you doing this? Like, are, are you trying to talk me out of my faith?" And I just had no one to talk to uh, in my family anymore because everybody, and I probably was trying to talk them out of their faith.
1: Well, yeah, I think at the very at the beginning of all that, it just feels really defensive because you're talking about the structure in which everyone has built their life on top of. Yeah. And so we were defensive because we were feeling like we were getting hurt. In all of these conversations, so I think at the beginning everyone's just like locked down in their corners. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of common ground. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of place to meet in in peace because it's such a foundational right. structure that's changing. Yep.
0: Yeah, and then we just kept on getting louder about it. Like, all of a sudden, like, Eastlake, we go LGBTQ inclusive, which is fucking amazing, like, the best thing that's happened in my life in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. It's a, it's a monumental shift because everybody was like, that's not true, and we're like, it is true, and <laughs> and it broke apart everything. That was kind of like the, there it goes. Yeah. Like, there goes my family, there goes my thing. And then, like, I got invited to be on the management team of Eastlake, which I had worked my ass up again on doing. Like, it was just another, like, me reaching the top of something, you know? and uh started hanging out with ryan meeks uh the pastor also just one of my closest friends ever mm-hmm. um and just learning about life in a new way like learning about life um without Christian, without like the curse i guess i, mm-hmm. re- I removed it mm-hmm. i wasn't christian anymore mm-hmm. i wasn't so what different does that mean? anymore yes. i actually fell back into the rest of the world which was like always talk, talk to me about like the slippery slope down into mm-hmm. the world But when I hit the bottom of that slope, I was like, holy shit, like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I can just be friends with everybody, and no one really cares if I'm what I am, what I believe in. And so it was almost this new ground that I got to, like, search out with Lisa, with my friends. Uh, The Meeks were super close to us, uh, the Nobles, the, I don't know, I don't know. There's just so many, like, really close people in this group that just started living life curious all of a sudden. What is this place? My whole life I believed it was one place, and now I see it as something else. And so I wrote that song at 36 36 years old. I was, like, fully removed, and now what the fuck am I going to do with my life? Like, what is this place? Mm -hmm. And in the last couple of years, I think I've just started building. Like, I started, like, testing out the world in different ways. Like, I know I might be crazy, like, in the way I think, (laughs) but, like, I started to think of the world as a magical place that like maybe I had come to as a divine being. Maybe I was like the divine staring through my eyes like here for a reason. Um, Maybe I could like dream about something and actually create it or at least get on the path to do it. Um, Maybe this having one hand was like from a past life like maybe I was a warrior in some war and and I got it cut off in a war and I had chosen to come into this life still holding that wound. Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe anything. Maybe anything,
1: yeah, totally. Maybe
0: anything and so all of my dreams just started to like come out of me and I would start to listen to them. I think as a Christian I was always told like that you just listen to what God wanted you to do and even if it was a thing you didn't want to do, you had to go do it because your will wasn't the way his will was. But at this point, I was like, "What dream feels good to me, even if it feels horrible, even leaving Christianity, even whatever, I have to try it." So everything became an experiment. I would just go and just try out everything: drugs. I like I mean, I still smoke marijuana. I started smoking cigarettes, which I still smoke right now, I'm trying to quit that one. Um, I started doing psychedelics. Which fucked my world up in the most beautiful way. I started to, because on psychedelics, you just see everything. Like the way I was feeling about the world started, I'd be able to see it in these visions. Like, holy shit, I am the divine staring through my eyes. Holy shit, the, the trees are breathing. This is a magical <laughs> world. And I couldn't help but come back down from those highs and be like, I still see it.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, I still see a magic. Yeah. Even though I don't feel like a divine human, like, I still I saw it. I saw the divine up in the universe, that was me, painted purple and black and <laughs> shooting stars and rainbows and glitter <laughs> coming through it and deciding to be in this human body. And so mm. I decided, I don't know, probably a year or so ago that I wanted to step into a new belief system, which was my own belief system. So I started to just create my own spirituality. And it was really scary to step into it. I would always tell Lisa, like, I think this year I'm going to do it. I think it's this year I'm going to just start believing it and just being proud of it. And so it's kind of how I'm living my life now is like mm-hmm. I, I think like there are God-given dreams to me, but it's not a God being. It's me. It's like the energy mm-hmm. of all deciding to separate itself into this powerful, whatever it's called, streaming into David and streaming into you and streaming mm-hmm. into whoever's listening to this. All of us are this split off part of this one energy that has decided to come down and experience what it has dreamt up yeah and so i listen to my heart these days and i'm like what do you want to do where do we want to go how big do you want to do it and i think that's where life coaching came from is like i guess it's because i started to meet magical people too you know yeah. what i mean like mm-hmm. my life started to fill in with these magical people um, I met Ram Dass on the fucking streets of Hawaii in a back alley. I thought I should go to Hawaii to meet him, even though I had no chance to meet him, but I knew kind of the area where he lived, so I, I just bought a plane ticket, hopped on a plane, stayed there for a week, and magically met Ram Dass. I read a book by Alan Cohen, who was this guy who, who was like into all spirituality, but still talks like kindly about Jesus, and it bothered me, but it made me want to meet him. But he also spoke about positivity and I really needed the positive message so I like decided I had to meet him so I looked on his website and I went to a life coaching course <laughs> not knowing I was gonna be a life coach but just knowing I had to meet to this meet guy him, yeah. yeah and then I walked away from that going holy shit like I like being a life coach and then uh, I don't know I just I see it all now like as this really cool thing like music came into my life magically these songs came into my life magically I've been writing them for years and now I I can't help but share songs with the world over and over again. And I have so many I'm still going to share, coaching people. I've been doing it my whole fucking life, Mm -hmm. helping people through their problems because (laughs) I've been close to pain. I've been close to – I've had to bury myself in this body for so many years to feel safe from being so different that I know what it's like to sit with my pain. I know what it's like to sit with my anger. I know what it's like to sit with all these things. So I get to sit with people now and help them sit close to it, get brave enough to sit close and go, oh, this is just a beautiful part of you. It's just yeah. like the little hidden soul inside of you wanted to come out. And these are feelings that you can change. And
1: Yeah, and it seems like too, that the <clears throat> the thing that you do really well too is you emerge. You know, you, like you sit with the pain, you're close to it. Even being in bodies of people yeah. and, and in structures, and getting buried all the way down to the bottom of it, and emerging, because yeah. that's kind of what I see and hear when you're talking right now. In the last year, you decided, I've just decided that I believe that this world is a magical place. And look at all the shit you're doing because yeah. of it. You are a magical being because that's the way that you see yourself. But you had to like, you had to really like question all of those structures that were around you, all the people that were around you, the systems that were around you, all of that. To emerge into this like unique expression, just like what you're talking about on your like psychedelic journeys and stuff too. Yeah, being a part of the whole, but emerging as your own expression. Yeah, and so that's what I feel like when I hear you talk about your coaching and your clients and the work that you really enjoy doing is is kind of like that death and rebirth right. thing that you're that <clears throat> you've experienced time and time over again. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that, because I think that I had to come out of my body. I mean, it's interesting that I just wrote that song, David Lunsford, right? (laughs) The song about yourself. But the first, one of the first lines is, I was born with one hand, which Mm -hmm. is a fucking brave line for a person that was trying to hide it my Mm -hmm. whole life. Like, it was trying to to not let anyone know. And now it's like, if you've never heard my music and you go to my album, it's one of the first things you're going to hear is, oh, this is a one-handed guy. Like, it's just out there, you know? Um, I love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is my favorite time of life because I feel like things are magically happening. Like I didn't mean to be a life coach and now it's happening. And I started to dream like how many clients do I want? And they started happening. Like (laughs) I would say I want 20 (laughs) clients this next month and it happened. And then I I would say I want more intimacy in our relationship. It would happen like whatever I want and started to believe in and felt the emotion, the pull behind. And I stopped letting my mind try to figure out how I would just dream it. And it would, I just thought it was coming Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah.
1: It's been an interesting thing to watch from yeah. the outside. You know, like <clears throat> like last week we heard about my story, and it's really hard for me to dream. And the idea of, like, bringing your desires into this world is a difficult thing for me to understand. And it's been a really cool thing. Like, I just feel really, really um, lucky that I get to be with you as your expression is finding out all of this magic inside of you, yeah. you know, and being, I get to be next to that, which yeah. is really, really awesome and learn. I, I think you're one of, you're one of my greatest teachers. Thank you. And so I, I feel like if people want to know this, this is the guy to come and talk to about you. Yeah. You're the guy to come and talk to about this <laughs> kind of stuff because yeah. it has been crazy. You know, even you listing out all the people that you've met, you just... You like them, you love them, want to meet them. Yep. Let's make it happen. Yep. You know? And that's in so many areas of our life that I've been able to witness that. And it's been really cool to watch you um, be birthed out of all of these experiences. Yeah. You know, to see your unique expression really like become bold and full of color and really become established has been really really awesome to see
0: yeah yeah it's nice to say it all yeah yeah totally um maybe we should just read a few comments that people have put on instagram we do these things live so you're always welcome to come and talk to us during these things and most of the time there will be more of a conversation we just want everybody to get to know us before we start diving into weird conversations <laughs> uh reina damn born disruptive is a badass thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks man i appreciate that
1: and then the no pressure right was i think when you were talking about being in idaho yeah with uh and then spreading the word yeah make sure you <laughs> save all those souls yeah. you know no it's pressure a, it's a really big <laughs>
0: deal to save all those souls Happy Mother's Day.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Son of a preacher, man. I am a son of a preacher, man. (laughs) Aaron Fold says, love that putting on an identity. Yeah. As a four, that's like a big deal. Like you put identities on over and over again. What's funny is I thought I was a seven for a while and it was treating me like shit. And you could see it from like when I was like back in YWAM days when I was trying to put so much energy and trying to form an identity that no one could see that I have one hand. It looked like a seven in a lot of ways. Which is
1: the enthusiast? Yeah,
0: yeah. So it was me just trying to make a party. Don't look at don't look <laughs> at the one hand thing. Just look at my fun humor and my mm-hmm. whatever I'm good at. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the four was actually really liberating um, because it was like I could be sad, and mm. I could be like. I could be an individual. Well,
1: yeah, it just—it actually just reflected what you were already doing. Like you were already writing sad music, so it did make sense. Yeah. The enthusiast like runs away from pain. Yeah. And you're like running towards the pain, but feeling disintegrated from what that identity right. was on top of you. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was hard to be a seven <laughs> <laughs> for a couple of weeks, <laughs> or actually a couple of months. Whoops. Let's see. Aaron Fold says, "I had no idea how much of your pain was in your songs. I always loved listening to your songs, despite the content." Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And then another mo- happy Mother's Day over here. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's it. Feel I mean, complete? yeah, I feel complete. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't too much. I'm. A, I just. I just go. I just flow with words, and I know that can be confusing. I'm just trying to own my own language. I just
2: totally. Yeah. I, I think I
0: for too long I tried talking like other people. Mm-hmm. And my my songs were the only place I could be like, in, mm-hmm. like use imagery to like put things forward but as i go along i just like i just need to flow with my words and not yeah, think too I think much you're
1: starting to see that you just are imagery yeah that's just the way that you communicate yeah the best
0: yep yep well episode two
1: episode two introducing In the
0: david lunsford <laughs> um we have a little bit of time just to say if you're going through hard shit or even if you're going through good shit If you're like dreaming about a world of possibilities or if you're stepping out of the belief system of your family and of your childhood, if you're anywhere in life and we seem like someone you'd want to talk to about it and we seem like someone uh, that could, I don't know, help you step out of your body like I had to step out of mine and just live with who you are, live in reality. I don't know. We would love to talk to you. Mm -hmm. We love doing this coaching work. It's fucking amazing. And uh, I don't know. We would love to to give that to you too. So let us know if you'd like to do that. Um, If you wouldn't mind sharing the podcast, that'd be really cool too. This is our way to try to reach new groups of people and to try to reach you too. And yeah. thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for being here. We love you guys. See you next week when we'll be talking about something.
0: We don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Love you all. Love you. I've been trying to tell myself that everything's alright. No stress, take it easy. Trying to lay down all my worry and enjoy my life. No stress, take it easy. No stress, take it easy. No
2: not stretch, take it easy.